Malcolm is harmless. Malcolm is innocent. Malcolm is shy. Malcolm is gentle. Malcolm is a genius. And wanted. From a man afraid of everything. I can't give you any more milk. You haven't paid me for three weeks. To a man afraid of nothing. Are you a neat and tidy person who makes his stroke her own bed and washes the dishes? Oh, no, I just want a room. His life would never be the same the day Frank and Judith came to stay. I just got out of jail. So, I mean, if you're going to blabber that all around the place, we might as well pack up and leave now. You're not going to leave, are you? How do you get the money? Nobody moves. You're right. Stick them up or I'll blow your brains out. Watch out, Frank. Behind you! It's the oldest trick in the book. What is... <laughs> What's he doing out there? Who knows? It's a getaway car. I can run faster than this. Open the glove box. All right. Hey. Huh? Uh, Freddie put his mind to something. Use that brain of his. One is registered LDW. The other, 073. Nobody move. What the? Get back. I'll shoot. God's name got into you. Cops wouldn't know where to start looking. He never left his bedroom. I know you're up to something. So I'm going to help you. What? Rob Banks? Malcolm. A comedy of hopes and schemes. That's the trailer for the classic 1986 Australian film, Malcolm. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. In this episode, I'm joined by the iconic Australian filmmaker, Nadia Tass, to discuss her career, including the making of two of her most well-known and much-loved films, Malcolm and The Big Steel. I wanted to play the trailer from my favourite Nadia Tass film, so after much thinking, Malcolm beat out Nadia's other films like The Big Steel, Amy and Mr Reliable. Nadia Tass is one of Australia's most respected filmmakers. Known for those films I just mentioned, Nadia also directed Pure Luck, an American film starring Martin Short and Danny Glover. Nadia's later work includes Matching Jack with Jacinda Barrett, Richard Roxburgh and Cody Smith-McPhee, and the telefilm Fatal Honeymoon starring Harvey Keitel. I learnt a lot about Nadia from this interview, including how her grandfather influenced her career, how the character Malcolm came about, her plans to make a sequel to The Big Steel with the original cast, and how she became involved in her latest film, Oleg, the Oleg Vidov story. Nadia has a lot going on at the moment with Umbrella Entertainment's upcoming Blu-ray release of both The Big Steel and Malcolm, and her position as jury chair at the Cinefestos Film Festival. To celebrate this interview with such an iconic Australian filmmaker, we're giving listeners the chance to win a copy of both Malcolm and The Big Steel. You can head over to cinemaaustralia.com.au to find out how you can win. 
Anyway, enjoy. Nadia, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's great to have you on the Cinema Australia podcast. Absolute joy to be here. Uh, it's a very busy time for you at the moment. It feels like there's a lot going on with the, uh, you know, the DVD and Blu-ray releases of Malcolm and uh, and the Big Steel, and yeah, all of a sudden you're the jury chair of Cinefest Oz, and and you've got this new film coming out. It, it's an exciting time for you. It's uh, yes. I mean, I'm in lockdown mm. here in Melbourne mm. uh, because of people's selfishness, I might add, but. Um, I have so much going on that I'm, you know, on uh, on Zoom and uh, QTake and all these other platforms from the beginning of the day to the very end of the day. So it's good. <laughs> That's fantastic to hear. Hey, um, we're going to take a real deep dive into your career with this podcast. Uh, but to get started, I want to go back to the very beginning. Um, you were born in Greece and you moved to Australia in the 1960s. Do, do you have memories of that time? Oh, yes, I do. I, yeah, I, yes, going to, uh, as a little kid, going to primary school and then, you know, eventually Melbourne University and then New York and then London. And it's like, yeah, I just continued just uh, branching out from uh, Greece to, uh, to Melbourne and then on onwards. So it was straight to Melbourne, straight to Victoria for you? You, you haven't uh, lived anywhere else around Australia? No, um, straight to Victoria, straight to Melbourne. Mm. Uh, but I have shot in a lot of different parts of the world. Yes. So, and I lived in uh, New York, and I also lived in Los Angeles. So, you know, I have spent a lot of time out. Yeah. Generally, about seven or eight months of my time is spent overseas. Um, when when did you become interested in in screen art? Do you remember that time? Look, I was always interested in doing, um, uh, in telling stories, mm. uh, directing. From very young age, it was my grandfather who introduced me to directing mm. um, as a tiny kid. Uh, and uh, so I've been telling stories virtually all my life mm. um, on stage, initially at school and then high school and then university at Melbourne University. And... Uh, and then eventually um, I, I wanted to tell uh, the story of Malcolm but tell it to a much wider audience than theatre permits. Mm. And so I went to film school. Great. I want to go back to your uh, grandfather yeah. then. Can you, can you tell us a bit more about his influence? Oh, Lord, he was just mad about um, theatre. And mm. so he built a, a, a little theatre in the yard in our you know, in our com in our house or uh, in uh, northern Greece, mm. which is Macedonia, and um, so he continued to take me to that little uh, theatre by the hand and say, "Now, Nadusha, you are going to tell me how I can set the stage for the fable of the turnip." Mm. You know, what is, uh, where are we going to place the turnip? Mm. Where are you going to place your little friends? And so I learned about the power of the stage through him. That is a beautiful story. Wow. Um, can, can you tell us about your studies uh, later on? Uh, where where and, uh, and what did you study exactly? I, I did, um, I mean, I, I studied film. Mm. Um, but I, are you talking about Melbourne University? I did creative arts. Mm. Uh, specifically drama, and uh, then I 
I went and studied um, in New York. Uh, I studied acting and I studied directing. Uh, I went to the actor studio uh, and HB studio. And then I went to London. I did some study there. And then I came back and I also did study at uh, AFTRS. Mm. Uh, your career, you know, from from the very early uh, stages of your um, of your screen career, you worked alongside, you know, the great David Parker. Can you tell us uh, uh, when you met David and, and what that was like? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, the great <laughs> David Parker. <laughs> That's good. He really is. Um, he really is. <laughs> he really is a wonderful man. And, and oh, my God, he's so talented. Mm. He drives me nuts. <laughs> um, he's, uh, look, we met uh, when I was directing a play for the Melbourne Theatre Company as a very young person. Um, and uh, they wanted photo photos of me. And I was sort of you know, reticent to having photos because I said, look, I'm not an actor, I'm a director. Mm. But they said, we still need photos. So they sent me to their photographer. Uh, he was doing all the MTC photos and that's how we met. Wow. So we met and we basically um, combined our skills. He's a wonderful writer. Yes. And I discovered that after meeting him and uh, so he, that's how he wrote Malcolm. Yes. It was because we started talking about my need to tell the story of Malcolm mm. and he put it down on paper and so that was the beginning. Fantastic. And we haven't stopped since. And, <laughs> you know, he, he's been writing a lot of work. Um, some of it has been picked up by studios in America. Other, other work has sold to Russia, which is interesting. Mm. So his uh, his writing is reaching, you know, all sorts of places around the world. Um, he's just he's just written um, two more scripts that are pretty fabulous, and we'll be going out there to finance them and uh, put them on the screen. How oh, exciting! And, and we project, yeah. We talk about uh, David being a great writer, but he's also a pretty good uh, cinematographer too, which uh, we can talk about later um it, it had been years since i'd seen Malcolm, and uh, i watched it again the other day um it truly is a great film but but one thing that really stands out for me and i found the same thing with the big steel uh, is that it seems to move at its own pace uh i've never really seen an australian film like this before in terms of pace it never wants to rush forward too quickly and it's never too slow that it's uh, that it's dull and boring it's just it's absolutely perfect um, I'm, I'm really curious to know about the pre-production of this film. Can you tell us about coming up with this character? Uh, well, the character of Malcolm is based on my brother and um, who we lost uh, a couple of years be before that. And so that was the reason I wanted to make this film, to reach a wide audience and to speak about uh, people who are on this spectrum, basically, and you know they they have hidden talents. It is it's uh, it's not a case of not having cognitive or acute cognitive ability. It's a case of you know there are other handicaps like he was socially uh, shy, socially inept, and so. But you know his genius in mechanics was extraordinary. Mm. So that was the key 
to communicate a story about this person and to communicate it in an entertaining way so that, in fact, people didn't feel like I was uh, selling um, an issue because mm. I'm not. Mm. I'm entertaining, but at the same time speaking about hu the human condition. Yes. yes. Um, so that was the intention of Malcolm, and by all accounts, it reached and communicated internationally, which I was thrilled about. And the reason it communicates internationally is because it is a human story. Mm. It's not confined to boundaries of a particular culture. Yes. Uh, the human condition is everywhere. Mm. Uh, was your brother as inventive as, as Malcolm? He was, um, he was really in, in, uh, differently inventive. Yeah. His uh, ability with numbers was extraordinary, mm. maths. Mm. And uh, so that was, uh, that was wonderful to see. And, yes, he was, uh, he was extra an extraordinary human being. Yeah. Um, uh, and as far as the pace is concerned, I mean, this is where I learned so much about telling a story, yeah. Yeah. particularly from my grandfather and later on, uh, from other people, um, that each story has its own rhythm, mm. and it's really important to find that, and uh, and you know, in creating that world, that unique world to that story, uh, part of that is the rhythm. Yes. And then another writer who uh, who does this, um, who won the Pulitzer Prize for drama a few years back, is Annie Baker. Mm. And I've directed a lot of her work on stage. So, again, it's because we work out or I work out as the director and the writer works out as the writer what is the pace of, of this story. Mm. Um, it's something that's overlooked in a lot of the training institutions. And I think it... Um, you know, it's kind of weird that they don't go there. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, some modern filmmakers can certainly learn a lesson or two. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is to really learn your craft, mm. learn it really well and, um, and be thorough and strong in your knowledge and uh, and the execution of what you know yeah i want i want to ask you about working with uh, colin freels john hargroves and uh, and uh, lindy davies they were all well established stars at the time uh, can you tell us about working with such established actors on your first film um yeah well the reason why i felt so confident to be able to do that is because of my experience in theater mm. my experience in being able to tell a story, understanding all the elements of that story, of characterization, of, of the overt narrative, of the subplots and how they, they uh, connected. Um, Lindy was actually, uh, she was a lecturer at the time. She was, she was my lecturer of acting um, at, the, at Victorian College of the Arts. Wow, wow. So... So uh, I cast Lindy because I knew she was the right person for that role. Yes. And, um, of course, John Hargraves was extraordinary, mm. uh, a, a brilliant actor. And it, he and Colin, I think, felt comfortable because they, they saw from our work that we were doing on a one-to-one -one and, and as a group that uh, we were all on the same page. Yes. But not only that, you know, that that, you know, I, I knew what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, 
the actor wants to know yeah. that uh, they're in safe hands. Mm. And that's the job of the director to make sure that they, one, they do know, and two, they can execute it. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we move on, I, I have to tell you something. Since, since watching this film, I can't stop thinking about these characters and, and what they'd be doing now because, uh, you know, spoiler warning here, but there is kind of a happy ending to this film in a way, um, in particular for Malcolm. Do, do you and David ever talk about this and, and what this particular character might be doing today? Um, yeah, we, we've... We've been approached a number of times to actually do either a sequel or a remake. And the funny thing was we were being hounded by some of the studios in America to do a remake. Right. And uh, there was a time uh, I was at the Actor Awards and, and Russell Crowe came up to me and he said, what's this? You're not going to do a remake. You're, you're just not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, the film is perfect as it is. And you're not going to do it. So the point is, I mean, why would I want to do a remake yes. is the question. Yes, that's right. It's, um, uh, you know, I, we did what we wanted to do, which was really communicate uh, the essence yes. of of the character of Malcolm. And we saw him in a different, in the circumstance where he was being supported, mm. be it by a criminal. Yeah. Frank, the Hargraves character, mm. but at the same time he was he was getting what he needed as a human being. Yeah. And so we, we saw the evolution of a Malcolm who was socially inept and then finally being able to come out mm. and, and actually communicate yes. and be happy to be in a cafe yeah. and be happy to contemplate going overseas. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, you know, it. Uh, I'm not. Uh, yes, there've been. There's been a lot of talk about doing other stuff with this narrative, yeah. but uh, you know, it just keeps getting discussed. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, we're talking about the big steel um, getting some sort of a new life. Oh, wow. We don't know yet. Yeah. We don't know where it's going to go. Damon Herriman, who is absolutely brilliant in the big steel. Yeah. Uh, he and Claudia have approached us, and we're we're talking to them at the moment. But we'll see. We don't know yet. And of course, I still have my connection with Ben, uh, who's in America at the moment. Um, but yay! Tomorrow we don't know. Hang on, that this is huge news. Uh, sorry, I just have to stick with this for a little while. It, it, wow, this is amazing. That, that's that's huge. Well, we talk, <laughs> yeah, people are interested and so long as people are interested, we, we sort of open up and, and talk. Where it takes us, we don't know. Yeah, um, that's very interesting. I, I think I've got a, um, an interview lined up with Damon soon, so it'll be interesting to chat with him about that. You're listening to the Cinema Australia podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or cinemaaustralia.com.au. But talking about those, you know, those established actors like Friels and Hargraves and uh, and Davies, and and also on your next film, Ricky and Pete, you uh, work with Stephen and and uh, and Nina. Um, but but on the big steel, these young in demand twenty somethings like Ben and and Claudia and Damon, what kind of energy did they bring to to this film? Was it a different kind of energy to those other actors? Well, they, in, when an actor is encouraged 
to bring their persona onto the set, onto the narrative, mm. I think that's really great. Mm. And I always try and do that because it's not just the case of, you know, this is the character I have written and you have to fall right into this envelope. It's also what can this actor bring to the part mm. to enhance it, not to change it, but to enhance and and make it more vibrant. Mm. So, of course, Damon was amazing in the way he presented his character, Mark. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm in awe of talent, in awe of acting talent. When it's there in front of me, I... I salivate. That's my glory. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, so what was the casting process like? Because these, you know, young actors or, or actors in general must have been throwing themselves at you by this stage. Well, it, you know, I, uh, I interviewed them. I, we auditioned. Mm -hmm. And when I say we auditioned, you know, when as a director you're auditioning somebody, you're actually auditioning yourself and your ability to communicate as yes. well. Yes, So yeah. that... You know, it's not a one-way thing. It is. Uh, it was a joy to open up these doors and go into the worlds of these wonderful young actors. Mm. And clearly, they're wonderful. They've continued with stellar careers yeah. uh, internationally. All of them. Mm -hmm. It's such a terrific young cast. Um, I'd love an entire day with you to ask you questions about everything you've worked on, and I'm, I'm sure you've got many stories. Uh, to share about other films, you know, like Matching Jack and Mr. Reliable and uh, and Amy and everything else. But uh, following The Big Steel, you were whisked off to America to direct uh, Pure Luck with Martin Short and Danny Glover. Can you tell us a bit about that experience? Oh, that was incredible. It was um, so I carried with me my my know-how. Yes. And uh, I was confronted by this huge studio system and uh, the casting process was very interesting. Uh, the casting uh, and the marketing division were so powerful and they were trying to influence me in the way I was going to cast. But um, that is one of my strengths and I refused to give that up. So, mm. you know, we butted up against each other and um, I found myself going straight to the top, to Tom uh, who was who was running the studio at that time? And I said, "Look, I need Sam Wanamaker to be the father in this uh, narrative, and he's in London. He was one of the uh, one of the uh, actors who was, you know, basically um, not allowed back into Hollywood because of the uh, the MacArthur period." Yes. And um, so, but I knew Sam because he was restoring the Globe Theatre and my work in theatre in London brought us in contact. And so I explained to Tom, uh, what to Tom Pollock, what this meant to, for the film. And he said, oh, I really like the casting you do in your films. Yeah. And he said, follow me. So he took me to the marketing division and the casting division and he said, get him for her. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's not a matter, it's not a combat. It's a matter of working out how to deal with the new system that you're working in yes. so that you can get what you need yeah. for that narrative. Mm. And uh, it was, uh, it was, you know, it was walking into a different um different set of rules mm. 
but uh, working out the rules and using them yes. uh, for the benefit of the film. Yeah. I loved working with Danny. He was amazing. And I loved working with Marty Short. They were truly great. And Harry Shearer. I mean, Harry Shearer is a huge <laughs> talent. I couldn't, I couldn't believe how, how fortunate I was to be able to be working with Harry as well. Yeah. Uh, so I had an extraordinary cast. That's right. Um, yeah, so I enjoyed doing that. And then I went to the BBC and did Stark, yes. the, ben, the Ben Elton yeah. um, uh, series. Mm -hmm. And that was amazing. Working with Ben is such a joy. Uh, he's uh, talk about a talent. Yeah, I mean, my God, it's never ending. <laughs> <laughs> he's just as funny today as he was back then too. Um, I just want to go back to uh, Pure Luck for a moment. Uh, this was your first film that wasn't written by David, but he did shoot the film. Uh, how important was it to have David's support on this shoot? Well, uh, he was shooting the film. It was really important to get what I needed yeah. in terms of visually, mm -hmm. and we had a shorthand by this stage. Mm -hmm. So uh, he was certainly able to um, uh, to give me the visual, the look that I wanted and to maintain the focus on the narrative, the focus on the characters and what was going on in the narrative and not grandstand with, uh, you know, beautiful epic shots of vistas. Mm -hmm. um, so in that way, I think it's important to have that uh, communication, that uh, connection with your crew and cast mm -hmm. so that uh, – and, yes, it was important to have David on board. Um, of course, I could have done it with another cinematographer, but, but um, you know, why not use what we have? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, again, this isn't uh, dismissing any of your work in between – um, it's strictly a time thing here, but let's jump forward to your latest film, uh, Oleg, the Oleg uh, Vidov story, uh, which is also your first documentary. Can you tell us how this one came about? Oh, my God. I love this film. Yeah. Um, the trailer looks amazing, years, by the way. <laughs> um, look, over the years that I was going to Los Angeles, um, I had the pleasure of meeting with Oleg Vidov, who was the top star in the USSR over uh, three decades, three and a half decades. And um, uh, what I realised was that this human being was driven by a need for freedom. He couldn't actually survive in the USSR and the restrictions that were being placed on him. So even though he, he was at the top of his tree, of the cinema tree at that time, he had to get out, so he escaped. And to hear his stories about how he escaped and his need for freedom and his ethics about, you know, what uh, what he saw as important in in humanity and and you know how to live, um, I understood that. Mm. And so there was a synergy between us. And when this film was going to be produced. I was called in by uh, Joan Boston, who's the producer, and um, she said, look, uh, I really want you to to direct this film because I know that's what Oleg would have wanted to. Um, so that's how it came about. But uh, it was a joy to be able to tell this human story of an individual 
and the way the politics of the USSR infringed on this man's life mm. and how they hounded him and persecuted him until he had to escape, even under the most dangerous circumstances. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and by telling the story, I'm also marking the uh, history of the USSR cinema over that period that he was in America as well mm. and how he managed to uh, reinvent himself in Hollywood after getting to Hollywood. Um, it's a, you know, it's an, uh, a one-man story but with a platform that's very complex. Yes, yeah. Uh, what can you tell us about the release for this film? Because I know that it's screening at Cinefest Oz this month, but uh, what, what else can you tell us when an audience is going to be able to see it? Um, we, we don't have a plan for it to be released yet in Australia. Mm. That will come, possibly. This is the, the, you know, the Australian premiere. Yeah. Uh, I only finished it in April of this year. Right, right. And this is, you know, in March of last year, we were still doing the interviews and I hadn't actually finished shooting, uh, doing the reenactments. Uh, I was in Los Angeles and I had to come back. I was on the last Qantas flight out of LA to Australia. Yeah. And I came back and then promptly got myself onto Zoom and QTake and then <laughs> Playmaker and all these amazing platforms where I could actually do the interviews in upstate New York. And I, um, uh, I directed uh, Brian Cox for the narration. He was in his, in his home and uh, we, did that, we did that, you know, over Zoom. Uh, and I, I also directed Costa Ronan, who is the voice of Oleg, mm. And Costa Ronan, I don't know, you might know his name. He was in The Americans and he was also in um, Homeland. And uh, so he was in Los Angeles when I was directing him from my little uh, room, little study <laughs> in South Yarra. Amazing, amazing. Um, but the biggest thing about that is that in uh, Slovenia, the, the border crossing Slovenia into Austria is where the main reenactment had to take place. Yeah. And so I did that from here, from my room, with a four-screen uh, setup, uh, three cameras, and, and uh, uh, I cast, I crewed it, and I location scouted everything over, uh, over technology. Amazing. And so... That whole, I mean, that, that whole sequence is the opening sequence in the film and then, of course, and then we pick it up later in the film. Mm. But um, it was, it's interesting how when, we, when we're forced into it, we really find our way to, uh, to invent things. Maybe that's a lesson from my brother. Yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> but, um, that's beautiful. Um, uh, speaking of Cinefest Oz, uh, you're, so you are the jury chair, and uh, for people who don't know, ultimately the jury chair um, you know, decides which film wins the festival's $100,000 film prize. Uh, I've been, a, been lucky enough to be a part of Cinefest Oz for the last six or seven years, and I've sat in that room so many times when the winner is announced, and there's nothing quite like it. I mean, th this isn't a matter of the rich rewarding the rich it's actually a genuine 
uh, impact on the film and how far it can go and how far it can be seen. Uh, what, what does this film prize mean to you? It means everything to me because it really, really is going to help uh, some filmmaker really set off and, uh, and, you know, help with the next part of their career. Yeah, yeah it really is. Um, uh, yeah, so unfortunately you won't be able to be there this year and you'll, you'll be doing it remotely, but uh, I'm sure it's exciting for you nonetheless. Absolutely exciting and I love the jury that we have. So we'll have fun and lots of, you know, lots of debates. In oh, that excellent. The, the jury hasn't <laughs> been announced yet, so I'm looking forward to seeing who else uh, you'll be working with. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, just very quickly, uh, I caught Isolated uh, Restaurant recently, the short film you made during the uh, 2020 <laughs> lockdowns. It's very good and perhaps more relevant now than it was in 21, uh, 2020. So I just wanted to um, say congratulations on that short and, uh, and I recommend it for anyone out there who's listening to this podcast. Actually, both you and David act in it. And I must say, for David's first acting gig, he, he really does hold his own. I'll pass that on to him. <laughs> He's, uh, yes, we, we really enjoyed making that. And it's won quite a few awards around the world, Amazing. which is interesting. Amazing. I mean, yeah. Out of desperation, of course, we had to alleviate our boredom somehow. Yes. Uh, well, Nadia, <laughs> as, as I said before, I could talk to you all day about your career, um, but we are restricted by time. So thank you very much for taking the time to join the Cinema Australia podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for being interested. And uh, yes, let's all tune into Cinefest Oz. Thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast. You can keep up to date with all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews at cinemaaustralia.com.au.